0: You've seen the big plays. Jaron stepping to his right, looking, looking, stopping, firing, end zone, touchdown! You've heard what the playmakers and coaches have had to say. Up for a three, got it! But now it's time to go behind the mic with BYU sports broadcasters to get their distinctive take on the games. Oh, what an aggressive
1: play! This is Behind the Mic with host Cleon Wall. We're here to bring you unique insights and stories from the BYU sports broadcasters who cover the Cougars and from the Cougars themselves, the BYU softball team has a good team with good players. Hunter Ava was named the league's MVP. Freshman Ilana Ogbayani was named WCC Defensive Player of the Year. The two of them were joined by Kaysen Korth and Violet Zavodnik on the all-West Coast Conference first team. Yet they're not going to the NCAA tournament. Softball analyst Taylee Williams was on a similar Cougar team last season. I asked her if she was surprised that this current team ended up with a similar result.
2: Yeah, definitely. B- BYU has always been a really great, strong team, win our conference every year. LMU still had a really strong pitcher this year, um, and she just threw really well against BYU, taking two of the three games away from them. But even with that, LMU lost a couple games, but we lost a couple games too. So I was really surprised to not see um, BYU at the NCAA tournament this year, although I am glad. That they're going to the NICS and getting to have a little bit of a postseason. What were
1: some of the other factors this year that maybe led to BYU not being considered, maybe even as an at-large team into the NCAA tournament? Because the WCC is pretty much a one-bid league. I mean, if you win the if you win the league title, you're going to the uh, NCAA tournament. But it's kind of hard if you don't win the league title. Were there was there anything else that kind of contributed to this team not getting invited? to participate in the NCAA tournament?
2: Yeah, there's definitely ranking that is a big part of it. And I don't know what BYU's RPI ended up at, but probably somewhere around 50. And you really, to get that up to the top 25 is the best way to get yourself into the tournament with an at-large bid. And BYU played well against Stanford, played UCLA tough, but just never won any of those big games that would help them Um, Have a chance when the committee looks at their schedule to get that auto bid this year.
1: Hunter Ava was named the WCC player of the year. She had some great offensive numbers. Unfortunately for BYU, she's also a senior. She went out with a bang. Uh, What are the Cougars going to miss from her next season when she graduates?
2: Oh my goodness. Everything. (laughs) Hunter is a super awesome player. So fun to watch. She can hit the ball a mile. Very clutch hitter. She had such a great average. I think led the team in batting average most of the year. But we may even see Hunter back next year. She was a part of the team during COVID. Um, and so a lot of those girls that were there are granted an extra year of playing time. So she might get a COVID senior year next year, which would be super awesome because she is a great asset to the team, a big part of BYU's offense.
1: Violet Zavadnick, she has been a mainstay the past two seasons you played with her, um, but she struggled at the plate this year. What did you notice this season from Violet where she didn't quite play up to what she has the past two seasons?
2: Yeah. Violet is a super awesome player, has been great for BYU since she got there. And I mean, just one of the things that's part of softball and the type of game that it is, is hitters get in slumps and, and I know Violet um, struggled with a little bit of some injuries at the beginning of the year. Of the year, She uh, got hit a couple times, I think had a little bit of a concussion at one point. So that really doesn't help to start your season off <laughs> getting hit. And then, I mean, just lots of players go through the little bit of the slump, and it just can be a little bit mentally draining. And I think she was just working through that. But really, towards the end of the year during conference time, she kind of found her bat again and was doing really well. I expect her to be amazing next year it's just sometimes there's little bumps in the road for these athletes that are playing for four years
1: coach Gordon Eakins had some good young players on the team this year Ilana Ogbiani was defensive player of the year Haley Morrow was freshman of the year Casey Korth killed it on the mound break down each player who played this year who was kind of on, on that younger class let's let's start out with Ilana
2: Yeah, I was so impressed by Ilana. So she actually was BYU shortstop this year, but she also can pitch. So she would be playing shortstop and come in in the middle of the game and finish sometimes. Um, When we talked to Coach Eakin about her during games, he was like, she is just fearless. And that is definitely how she presented herself when she was playing. Didn't matter who she was playing. She's very smooth, has really good hands, good footwork as a fielder. Her dad played professional baseball. So That could have contributed to that a little bit, too. But I think overall, her approach to the game was what made her so successful. And Haley Haley did a fantastic job this year. She caught for BYU, and she's never caught before in her life. She's actually a middle infielder. And I was so impressed by her and the job she did behind the plate, just stepping up into that role, especially as a freshman, which is hard to do. And her bat was hot a lot of the year, too. I think she won um, West Coast Conference Player of the Year a couple times. I mean, sorry player of the week. Um, and Kaysen was amazing on the mound. You would not think she's a freshman by the way that she pitches. She's very composed, had tons of strikeouts for a freshman coming in and playing D one for the very first time. It's way different than high school or travel ball. Super impressed by her. I also was impressed by Tristan Turlington. She didn't play as much, um, at the beginning of the year, but she kind of came in at the end of the year and was hitting just lights out for BYU. She was a really great player that was also a freshman.
1: I, I, I want to go back to Haley just for a second there. You talked about how she's not a catcher, but she came in and she caught this season. Kind of explain to people how difficult that is to go into that position. Catcher is just such a, to me, it seems like a niche position where you need to have a good one and you need to know what you're doing. How was she able to do that, to switch positions from what she mainly did in high school to coming in and being a catcher this season for the BYU Cougars?
2: Yeah, it is really difficult to do something like that, but I feel like if you're an athlete, you can do it. And I just think Haley is just a pure pure athlete, and she could be trained to do it. I mean, I think they definitely had to work her through it in the fall, Um, but she just is a fast learner and caught on really quick. And just, I mean, you've been around the game long enough. You kind of know some of the parts, but she definitely had to do a lot of extra work probably in her free time outside of practice to get to where she was because she, you would have never guessed she had never caught before. She did a really good job.
1: BYU is going into a conference with great softball teams. Oklahoma uh, defending national champs. And also they've only lost once this whole entire season, excuse me. And then you have Oklahoma State Texas, UCF is going to be joining the conference. Do you like BYU's chances going into the Big 12 conference next season?
2: You know, it's it's definitely going to be tough, but I think it will be so good for them. Um, our conference, the West Coast conference, is not like the strongest of all the conferences, but being in a bigger conference like the Big 12, playing against these teams, even if you're losing some of the games, being a part of a conference like that, is how teams get that auto-bid a lot easier. So even if they don't have the best season, because just, BYU just hasn't played consistent competition like that in years past, um, I think that they will grow from that, even if it's not a super great year from them for them next year. I think it will really help them to grow. Recruiting will grow. They'll get bigger recruits. And I think it's going to be really good for BYU.
1: Big thanks to Taylee Williams. Coming up next, the voice of the Cougars details his European odyssey with the BYU women's soccer team. Welcome back to Behind the Mic. Greg Rebell is one fortunate guy. Not only is he the voice of the Cougars on radio, but he also gets invitations to travel with the BYU women's soccer team on their European summer trip. I wanted to find out how the team did on their trip, But I also kind of wanted to find out how he was lucky enough
0: to be able to accompany them. This will be my 10th season calling uh, BYU women's soccer games. And so back in 2016, I'd only been with the program for a couple of years, but they had their uh, planned trip to Italy. And they're supposed to go every four years. So the, the the trip we had here in 2023 was actually pushed back due to COVID by three years. So they went in 2016, should have gone in 2020, didn't go till 2023. But backing up to 2016, uh, Jennifer Rockwell was simply kind enough to invite me to go with the team on this trip and kind of chronicle their journey. And I remember at the time uh, I was getting player diaries uh, that, that were submitted to me and sent back to BYU to put online. And so whether it was 2016 or 2023, Uh, a big part of the trip is making sure that I'm communicating what's happening back to Cougar Nation. And a lot of it this year was done via social media, via Twitter and Instagram posts and videos, pics and whatnot, um, and kind of chronicling um, every step of the way that uh, that, that the team takes. But back in 2016, Uh, Again, the invitation came from Jen, very kind of her, and uh, got to go with the team and and traverse Italy from north to south and and play matches again. And and they've won all the matches. I've seen them play overseas (laughs) now over these two trips. Uh, So you're going to get better. You're going to practice. Well, not so much practice, but play. They didn't really practice. They play the games. They warm up. Um, You go to play, get better. But uh, more than that, just team bond and see amazing parts of the world you would never otherwise see. And Italy was mind blowing, and it's the cradle of civilization, and, and you get all of this sense of just the uh, um, the ancient nature of all these constructions and 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 places in the world. And Italy blows you away, and then you go in, in 2023 to different countries: Austria, Slovenia, Croatia, and back to Italy to finish things out, and to realize that that they're not too far separated from Italy in terms of uh, impact and and the eras of, of construction and civilization. So a lot of things you were seeing had a really Italian vibe to them in terms of how old they were. And that was an eye-opener to me. I had a different version of the Balkans in my mind than I came back with. Um, Slovenia and and Croatia as Balkan countries, uh, I kind of had an image in my mind of of kind of war-torn, kind yeah. of rocky outposts, and no, it's it's not that at all. And And Austria, which kicked us off on the trip, it gives you such a grand sense of history and architecture and culture. And and so over these two trips, uh, Italy in 16 and this one, uh, I get to four different countries and, and see so much of what I never would have otherwise hoped to see in my life, thanks to the generosity of Jen Rockwood and her staff and program. And so both experiences were mind-blowing and, 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 and super-expanding in their own ways. This one had more countries involved. Back in 2016, you're one country, but seeing it north to south, and this one took you across borders and 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 getting different styles of food and architecture and history and and I could go on and on about how <laughs> uh you know I, life changing maybe too grand but not but not by 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 too far margin it was things that really just expanded your horizons
1: was it just you and your family that gets to go, or do you get to invite anyone My wife else? and I went
0: both, in both instances, oh, good. Yeah. yeah. I
1: was going to say, I, I wasn't sure how you are going to say to your wife, hey, honey, yeah, I've got go that, to go That'd Europe. be a tougher
0: sell. Yeah. So, yeah, very <laughs> fortunate to have been able to take her both times.
1: Oh, uh, that that's amazing for you. Coach Rockwood has been doing this forever. How does Coach Rockwood and her staff balance strengthening their bond as a t- soccer team on and off the field when they do a trip like this?
0: Well, in in this instance, uh, we were all, meaning um, players, staff, administrators, Ah, uh, parents, families, because there were others that were invited as well. To, you, you could take parents and 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 brothers and sisters, and so this was a group of about sixty-five-ish people, mm. all on one bus. It was a double-decker bus, um, and not the red London style, but a luxury <laughs> double-decker bus. So a lot of room on this bus, um, filled to the brim every day. And I was told by the driver that it's twenty-six tons when it's loaded up with our people and baggage. Uh, and you know, because we did. We were in six hotels over these 12 days, so we were stopping, starting, stopping, starting, packing, unpacking, and loading and reloading, and so it's a 26-ton load in this bus, but an amazing bus with an incredible driver named Rudy, And, and so we were all together all the time. And, and when we stop at, at places for guided, and there were so many guided tours as well, we'd stop to a city, we'd meet up with tour guides, they would take us around the city on foot. Um, so, so much of what we did was was on foot. I, I, I lost weight on the trip, which is crazy because as much as we ate <laughs> and you're eating you know, some snacks and some candies and some soft drinks, and so, but, but yet you're walking so much. I actually dropped a little bit of weight on this trip. My step count really went up. Um, but you're together all the time. And now what would happen when you get to a city, we'd meet up with our tour guides and they would tend to break up the players in one group and then the adults if you will the grown-up staffers parents in another group so we'd split up at times but for the most part all of our meals you're spent t- together as groups and then, of course the team is always non-stop together and and the the, the players had the upper level of the bus and down on the lower level where I was, we had staffers and coaches and administrators, yeah. and so it was kind of the you know the party bus up top, and then the <laughs> the quiet car down below. Um, but it's it's tough not to bond. Like you, you you just end up bonding on this trip, and and so I, I think as much of the size the soccer was good. We'll get to the soccer as, as impressive as that was to see. Just watching these girls um just uh, you know expand friendships and make new friendships and learn about each other off the pitch was really enriching as well it's a really tight group and and Jen brings the entire group back essentially from a sweet 16 team to enter the Big 12. And we should note Nat Wells, who was the lone graduate from last year, she came on the trip as well. So she got to be part of the team experience as well on this trip, even though she'd already graduated. So um, they were all back together and the fact they're all going to be together uh, again, uh, I couldn't be more excited for this group to start playing in the Big 12 and showing what they've been able to develop over the off season.
1: So they have... Four matches on this right. trip.
0: Two in, two in Austria, two in Croatia.
1: Okay. So well, let's start out with the first two in Austria, and you're going to have to help me. W- what is the name of the first club that BYU played?
0: Well, first of all, everything we're going to tell you about the clubs is um, these are the women's versions of the men's clubs that play in the highest leagues in those countries. So okay. we'll call it the you know the Austrian Premier League and the Croatian Premier League, for lack of a better term. It's their top men's leagues. So they're top men's leagues. In Austria, the top men's league has teams FK Austria, Wien, or Vien, Vienna, Wien, Vienna, W I E N, but Wien. FK Austria-Wien, or Vienna, and then FC Bergheim. These are two teams in Austria's Premier League men's teams, and they're women's affiliates of the teams BYU played. So the top versions of the women's teams for these pro clubs are the ones BYU played. So uh, they're well-known clubs in their countries. Um, We didn't get to play in the men's stadiums. We got to see the men's stadiums and tour the men's stadiums, but they played in adjacent playing fields. So the women would play in a field adjacent to the big stadium. And let's just note note off the top... um, American women's soccer is at a much higher place and has been for some time. Anyone who watches soccer knows that American women's soccer has been ahead of the rest of the world for a long time. The men were having to play catch-up for a number of years, but the women are well ahead. You're now seeing in places like England... They, they're they catching up quicker. And there, there were 77,000 fans at Wembley on the weekend for the Women's FA Cup Final, which is a record for that country. So I think if BYU were to go to a place like like England and play their top clubs, women's teams, you'd see a much different level of competition. In Austria and Croatia, I think still a work in progress uh, with their women's clubs. Um, and, and so these were good programs, but BYU showed you know what a top 25 NCAA team looks like against uh, clubs, that are still kind of developing yeah. in their system. Yeah. So
1: so that first match against Veen, uh-huh. BYU wins 3-1. They get goals from Brecken Mazingo, Ali Fryer, and then an own goal. Uh-huh. Uh, what, what was there anything that really stood out for you in that match from this team?
0: Yeah, I thought for the first match, I, I think you saw a team that was pretty physical and experienced and played actually rather well. Uh, first ten minutes, BYU was on the back heel in that match. BYU really took about ten fifteen minutes to really settle in, and I thought I thought their opponent played really well for the first part of the match. Once BYU settled in, I think they took control. They allowed a goal late uh, uh, to make the final score three one. But um, that, that that team and the next one they played in Bergheim were probably the two best opponents BYU faced, and they came in the first two games.
1: And that second match that you had, BYU wins 2-1, winning goal provided by Ali Fryer, assist from Bella Fellino Biggest takeaway from that match because it seemed like it got a little tougher.
0: Yeah, and and that was a goal, a game in which uh, it was one-one for a long time. Uh, BYU didn't get the game winner till relatively late in the game. Jen wasn't super pleased about how BYU finished that first half. They had a one-nothing lead for most of the half. And and Jen's been really um, you know kind of harping on her team about finishing halves strong, finishing half. She thought that the B- B- BYU allowed too many late half goals last year, uh, and and indeed um, FC Bergheim the women uh, scored in the final minute of the first half in that game, so it was one one going into halftime. They had an excellent keeper. The thing that stood out from that game was how good uh, Bergheim's keeper was. She kept them in the game, and then it's one one at the break, and and it was kind of late till they got the uh, the, the, the the game winner. Uh, I thought Bergheim was probably the toughest team overall, but mostly because of the keeper, who was really good.
1: Before we move on to Croatia, what was the experience like for the BYU women's players and then the, the players from Veen and Bergheim Were they able to um, talk afterwards? You know, socialize a little bit so that they could get to know each other a little bit better and find out a little a little bit more about each other.
0: Yeah, and and uh, and English is spoken by everybody in all these countries. Um, It's it's you didn't have to know the language to succeed on this trip. Uh, English was something everybody pretty much understood. And yeah, uh, not so much pregame, but in postgame, a lot of milling about, a lot of picture taking. Uh, Anyone who followed me on social media knows before the game and after the game they would pose um, with their flags. Before the game, they'd gifts before the game. They'd mill about afterwards. There was a lot of socializing that way, as much as you can get in the five or ten minutes you get before the field clears. But uh, that was a cool part of it, too, was seeing um, you know, these players from different countries get an appreciation for our girls' style, and then being able to share that appreciation verbally with them afterward. Uh, it's interesting that the second game in Bergheim, we were probably delayed about, well, first of all, they, they pushed the game back an hour and then ultimately about an hour, close to an hour and a half, due to a men's game that was being played in front of them. And it was a lower-tier men's game, but a men's game nonetheless, and so the women had to kind of wait till the men were done um, and before getting on to play their games. The second match they played in Bergheim actually didn't start till about 8.30 local time. It was a late night uh, for BYU that night. And BYU would be playing these games, Cleon, after a day, of sightseeing you say well it's only sightseeing <laughs> but you're doing a lot of walking and, yeah. and it's a tiring thing and so BYU would have these days where they're on their feet all day seeing amazing stuff but you're tiring out then you got to recover and then play 90 minutes of good soccer and granted uh, Jen was able to use her bench pretty liberally in this trip but uh, it was asking a lot of these girls to be ready to play and they weren't practicing they were simply showing up and playing games uh, but they were every time equal to the task and so they played two in, in Austria no games in Slovenia but that was our middle stop we we went to Ljubljana between Austria and Croatia, and we attended church there, did sightseeing, but no games there. Then picked up the games in Croatia.
1: So you now make it to Croatia, and again, you'll have to help me with some of these names here. The first, uh, the first match was against,
0: I, I'm not even going to try and say, you said... Hajduk s- Split. High Duke Split, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so the men's team is called HNK, Hajduk Split, and the women's team is ZNK, High Duke Split. But it's uh, anyone who follows European soccer knows Hajduk Split is a legendary team and logo. Like, people who know Croatian soccer know that Hajduk Split and Dinamo Zagreb are the two... Like those are the Croatian powerhouses, yeah. And and uh, and so uh, to play the top women's affiliates with those sco- with those clubs is pretty cool. I should note this: they didn't play a game in Slovenia, but we attended the Slovenian Cup final oh, between wow. uh, between Olympia, which is a team in in Ljubljana, and Maribor, which is a team about eighty miles outside of 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 Ljubljana. And these are our two fierce rivals, and they met. In the Slovenian Cup final, the final match, a men's game, obviously, and we went to this, and it was, it was surreal. First of all, the rain didn't stop. It was a rainy, It was the only really rainy night we had the entire time. So it's it's steady rainfall, and the supporters, uh, the hardcore supporters sections, are are on opposite ends of the stadium, and they're separated by vast swaths of empty seats and then riot police to keep them away from other fans. So you've got the supporters groups, the hardcore people. Then you got the fans on both sides of the stadium, including us. And we all wandered in there. And this place, the environment was unreal. Because first of all, I've never seen as much weaponry or armaments in one place <laughs> these riot police and they were everywhere were fully armed this is military style armaments and arsenal we're talking about and they were everywhere so i mean th- that that was that was um i don't say alarming it was actually kind of comforting but it was shocking to see just how much of a police presence there was at this match and then when you get in it is smoke and it is flares and it is drums and it is music and it is singing and it is rainfall and it was again I think surreal is the best way to describe it. It was otherworldly to be in this environment and then to have the soccer you know being played in front of you with everything and and, and the, the the twists and turns of the match and all that to go along with it. It was crazy to be in that environment. And it was a city called Celia, about 45 minutes outside of Ljubljana, but roughly halfway between these two teams. And a huge, uh, incredible rivalry that was settled in extra time. And that got to be part of our experience, too. Crazy, yeah, crazy. Th- yeah, I mean, I don't think people- like, Explosions! Explosions! <laughs> and flares! And smoke! And stopping the game to take players off the field because the smoke was so thick. Oh, it wow. Was, it, was a, it was a crazy experience. <laughs> And, then, and the explosions, by the way, were not like these. Scared you, like 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 these would rock you, and and yet most people there, this is like well, just another night at the soccer match. But they allow a lot of stuff to go on there. Flares being shot across the field. It was it was wild. Just as long as I guess. Some of those people aren't interacting with each other. The police kind of like, right. Kind of let it go. Yeah, that's basically what it was. Yeah. Oh wow. They're kind of confined to their areas. Let like the let them do what they want to do there. But uh, yeah, you, you see film of it and you you hear about it. But to be in it was crazy. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so, so we, we so, get we get to Croatia eventually.
1: Yeah. So we finally get to Croatia. BYU <laughs> plays in their first match. And they win 6 to nothing. Bella Felino scores, Olivia Wade scores, UCLA transfer, Ellie Wahlbrick scores. I mean, who didn't score in this match? Uh, pretty impressive. I, what do you take away from a match like this other than BYU right now is head and shoulders above this team that they played?
0: What impressed me here was it was a 10 a.m. game. Okay, we didn't think it was going to be an early game till the night before we found it they would go at 10 a.m. So you know there, there, was, there was bus travel. Um, you get some sleep, you get up, and you're playing a game. And again, you got to be ready to go. And they were. and And uh, the team they just played, we should note, High Duke Split. They had just played the day before. Mm. Uh, as well, and so they were playing on back-to-back days, and there was probably some fatigue involved there, and maybe they rested some players as well. So I think Hyduke split is better than maybe BYU six-final uh, six-nothing final might indicate, but it was a weird day for them playing just one day after they uh, had to lace it up in a league game. So that was tough for them. Um, this is a match in which um, I think this is the one where Olivia Wade, after scoring. Um, got a little dinged on on the goal and and left the match. And I don't think they played and they didn't play her in the last game as well, just to rest her up. So um more people played in this one, but it was a typical uh, kind of comprehensive start to finish. Once the goal started coming, they just kept they kept coming.
1: Then they play Dynamo Zagreb. They win eight to nil. Breham Mazingo has a hat trick. What, what can you tell us about this match?
0: Well, this one got away uh, from Zagreb, and they, they play adjacent to the men's stadium. It's about a 25,000-seat stadium, as I recall, and I got into the stadium. There was an open gate, and I got in and took some some video and pictures of, of, of their stadium. And Zagreb, again, is a big-time club, and um, and it was pretty cool to be in that environment, just to begin with. I actually went, went to the TV radio press box and took a shot from the press box, and... <laughs> uh, the, yeah, the, the final score was eight nothing, and and to be fair, um, we stopped the count on this one because uh, I, I think as as the game got on, uh, Jen was able to switch some players up positionally, and some yeah. more, some more goals were scored that weren't part of the official final tally in this yeah, one. Okay. So it it really was this was a blowout. This was a blowout. And as soon as we got on the field, we could tell this team was simply. Um, not going to be BYU's. They, they, they appeared smaller, they looked younger, and I thought BYU would kind of handle them, and, and they did. Brecken had a first half hat trick, and uh, by the way, she was really good on this trip. I mean, the, the numbers speak for themselves, but beyond the fact that they're beating these teams, they were looking good in doing so. I'll, I'll be stunned if Brecken doesn't have a huge goal scoring year for BYU this year.
1: We've mentioned a lot of people uh, Brecken, Olivia, maybe there's someone in there that we haven't mentioned who maybe got a little bit of playing time that you're like, Ooh, I can't wait to see this player this fall. One player I will have to say, and I mentioned her name, by the way, is Ellie Walbrook. She comes to BYU from UCLA. Defending national champions. Exactly. Yeah. And, and,
0: and by the way, BYU will play UCLA at Southfield this year. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah.
1: Um, so... She's the one that I'm really kind of interested in seeing, but is there anyone else that maybe, whether it's Ellie or anyone else that you thought, oh, I can't wait to see her in the fall Well, too.
0: among the starters, I mean, you're expecting a lot of Brecken. She was great. Allie Fryer had a great freshman campaign last year, and Allie's just nailed. Like she, she and Brecken, I think, are going to be right there in terms of, uh, of the tops and goal scoring for BYU. Olivia Wade is going to always threaten from that uh, from that 10 spot. Uh, that trio right there is going to be outstanding. Bella Felino is the consummate right place, right time goal scorer. Um, she just has a knack of being in the spot she needs to be in to finish. And so, there's a lot of goal scoring coming from those spots. Ellie Mon I thought, had a really good tour. Um, a really good distributor on this trip. A lot of assists for Ellie. And so, among starters, those players really stand out. Jamie Shepard does so much without uh, drawing a lot of fanfare to her game. She plays the six as well as anyone. I I just think it's it, it's a tremendous midfield and forward attack for BYU right now. On the back line, we didn't see Leveni Vaca play on this tour. Um, she was resting uh, an injury. That's not a long-term thing. So we didn't see Leveni. So we got to see someone like uh, uh, like Zoe Jacobs play some more on the back line. Olivia Smith's already a standout there, along with the Kendall Peterson. Uh, Izzy Stratton has found a spot at center back. And so I don't think there's many questions to be answered among the starters. But among the reserves. I thought Ellie showed well, Ellie Wahlberg, uh, the the, the UCLA transfer. So I think she's going to fit right in for what BYU wants to do. And she's probably the one that jumps out to me as as someone that showed uh, she'll she'll be playing a lot of minutes. BYU's Big 12 schedule was
1: released. Uh, Plenty of interesting matches. First match will be against TCU on Thursday, September 14th. The last match will be October 23rd at home against UCF out of all the games that are out there what's the game that BYU soccer fans should like note and say yeah we got to pay attention well, to well i game. guess it's
0: a no brainer but uh, but TCU in the opener because you know TCU is a, is the kind of team that could be at the top of the league so it could it, it, it this could be an early decisive game even though it's the opener i think by the end of the season this TCU BYU result could prove pretty consequential so the fact that it's the first Big 12 home game and they get it at home on a Thursday night against a the team they've played before it's an old mountain west rival, if you want to look at it that way yeah. Uh, and a top a uh, big 12 team. I, I think TCU is a great way to kick things off. They go right to Baylor the next week, first road game. Um, the fact they have just uh, they have only one. Uh, Thursday Monday home weekend, but they have two Thursday Monday away weekends. That's that's going to be the, the the key point to me is how many points can BYU get out of those two back to back Thursday Monday away weekends? Because BYU may choose not to stay out there the entire time. Uh, that's a long trip, and 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 with the ability now to maybe get back and rest up before going out back on the road might be an option BYU looks at. But how do they handle Thursday-Monday road setups, considering you can't practice and get ready on a Sunday? That'll be the season-long challenge for Jen Rockwood, her staff, and her players, is how do you deal with no Sunday availability with a big Monday game coming up? And then and then it turns around pretty quickly to think about it, um, to get ready then for the next Thursday game. Right. Uh, everyone else will have an extra day, of prep for that Thursday game. Conversely, you could argue that BYU have rest between the Thursday and Monday games, yeah. but you know, teams are already getting Saturday uh are already getting Friday and Saturday off to get ready for the Sunday match. Um, how will BYU do having how will BYU do having one less day to get ready for the next Thursday match becomes a question. And
1: you just mentioned BYU is going to play UCLA, defending national champions. That that match just seems like it has a lot of storylines, not only is it the defending national champions? But both Breck and McGazingo and we talked about Lee Walbrook. They both played for the Bruins, and they're right. now playing for the Cougars. Lots of storylines. A, a, a match that I think everyone is going to be interested in, it, not only here in Provo, but I think across the soccer nation too.
0: Yeah, because it still happens in August. It'll give us a good sense by the end of the month where BYU is, uh, what kind of threat they're going to be in the Big 12 and nationally. Uh, a great game to have in August with the Big 12 play just two weeks away. It's a fantastic schedule in St. Louis, which is the season opener. Uh, people, I mean, people need to realize that was a top 25 program last year and a high RPI team. Um, and so St. Louis is not a great name maybe, but they are a solid team and a great way to open the season and, comes again at Southfield um, on a weeknight and uh, we'll see if BYU can lead the nation in attendance again for I think it would be, this would be the sixth time in seven years I think if they do it or seventh in eight um, Southfield has a well-earned reputation and the season the schedule this year gives uh, fans every good opportunity to come on out and cheer the Cougs
1: Thanks to Greg Revel. Behind the Mic is taking a couple of weeks off but we will be back soon Download and subscribe to Behind the Mic wherever you find podcasts or listen to all episodes on the BYU Radio app. Behind the Mic is a production of BYU Radio.